Book One, Chapter Four of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Daniel Defoe. Book One, Chapter Four. Mr. Wilde's first entrance into the world, his acquaintance with Count Larousse. An accident soon happened after his arrival in town, which almost saved the father his whole labor on this head, and provided Master Wilde a better tutor than any aftercare or expense could have furnished him with. The old gentleman, it seems, was a follower of the fortunes of Mr. Snap, son of Mr. Geoffrey Snap, whom we have before mentioned, to have enjoyed a reputable office under the Sheriff of London and Middlesex, the daughter of which Geoffrey had intermarried with the Wilds. Mr. Snap, the younger, being there too well warranted, had laid violent hands on, or, as the vulgar express it, arrested one Count Larousse, a man of considerable figure in those days, and had confined him to his own house till he could find two seconds who would in a formal manner give their words that the Count should, at a certain day and place appointed, answer all that one Thomas Thimble, a tailor, had to say to him, which Thomas Thimble, it seems, alleged that the Count had, according to the law of the realm, made over his body to him as a security for some suits of clothes to him delivered by the said Thomas Thimble. Now, as the Count, though perfectly a man of honour, could not immediately find these seconds, he was obliged for some time to reside at Mr. Snap's house. For it seems the law of the land is that whoever owes another ten pounds or indeed two pounds, may be, on the oath of that person, immediately taken up and carried away from his own house and family, and kept abroad till he is made to owe fifty pounds, whether he will or no, for which he is perhaps afterwards obliged to lie in jail. And all these without any trial had, or any evidence of the debt, than the above said oath which, if untrue, as it often happens, you have no remedy against the perjurer. He was, forsooth, mistaken. But, though Mr. Snap would not, as perhaps by the nice rules of honour he was obliged, discharge the Count on his parole, yet did he not, as by the strict rules of law he was enabled, confine him to his chamber. The Count had his liberty of the whole house, and Mr. Snap, using only the precaution of keeping his doors well locked and barred, took his prisoner's word that he would not go forth. Mr. Snap had, by his second lady, two daughters, who were now in the bloom of their youth and beauty. These young ladies, like damsels in romance, compassionated the captive Count, and endeavoured by all means to make his confinement less irksome to him, 
which, though they were both very beautiful, they could not attain by any other way so effectually as by engaging with him at cards, in which contentions, as will appear hereafter, the Count was greatly skilful. As whisk and swabbers was the game then in the chief vogue, they were obliged to look for a fourth person in order to make up their parties. Mr. Snap himself would sometimes relax his mind from the violent fatigues of his employment by these recreations, and sometimes a neighboring young gentleman or lady came in to their assistance. But the most frequent guest was young Master Wild, who had been educated from his infancy with the Miss Snaps, and was by all the neighbors allotted for the husband of Miss Tishy, or Letitia, the younger of the two. For though, being his cousin German, she was perhaps, in the eye of a strict conscience, somewhat too nearly related to him, yet the old people on both sides, though sufficiently scrupulous in nice matters, agreed to overlook this objection. Men of great genius as easily discover one another as Freemasons can. It was therefore no wonder that the Count soon conceived an inclination to an intimacy with our young hero, whose vast abilities could not be concealed from one of the Count's discernment. For though this latter was so expert at his cards that he was proverbially said to play the whole game, he was no match for Master Wilde, who, inexperienced as he was, notwithstanding all the art, the dexterity, and often the fortune of his adversary, never failed to send him away from the table with less in his pocket than he brought to it, for, indeed, Langfanger himself could not have extracted a purse with more ingenuity than our young hero. His hands made frequent visits to the Count's pocket, before the latter had entertained any suspicion of him, imputing the several losses he sustained rather to the innocent and sprightly frolic of Miss Doshi, or Theodosia, with which, as she indulged him with little innocent freedoms about her person in return, he thought himself obliged to be contented. But one night, when Wilde imagined the Count asleep, he made so unguarded an attack upon him that the other caught him in the fact. However, he did not think proper to acquaint him with the discovery he had made, but preventing him from any booty at that time, he only took care for the future to button his pockets and to pack the cards with double industry. So far was this detection from causing any quarrel between these two prigs, footnote, thieves, that in reality it recommended them to each other. For a wise man, that is to say a rogue, considers a trick in life as a gamester doth a trick at play. It sets him on his guard, but he admires the dexterity of him who plays it. These, therefore, and many other such instances of ingenuity, 
operated so violently on the count that notwithstanding the disparity which age title and above all dress had set between them he resolved to enter into an acquaintance with wilde this soon produced a perfect intimacy and that a friendship which had a longer duration than is common to that passion between persons who only propose to themselves the common advantages of eating drinking whoring or borrowing money which ends as they soon fail so doth the friendship founded upon them mutual interest the greatest of all purposes was the cement of this alliance which nothing of consequence but superior interest was capable of dissolving End of Book One, Chapter Four. Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.